Welcome to Faith and Fitness. I'm Kristen Osborne, a fitness coach and writer at FitFierceFight.com. I'm here to provide inspiration, motivation, and information about fitness, nutrition, faith, and spirituality with some reading, writing, business, and other randomness thrown in for flavor. So let's get started. Since the beginning of the summer, I've been slowly reading my way through the Bible. I got a new Bible. It's one of those journaling ones where you're actually encouraged to write and to draw in it. If you get on Pinterest, you'll see all of these like crazy, amazing drawings and paintings that are all over these journaling Bibles. You can really get sucked into it. And I've got a few of those cute little quote drawings, but mostly I just wanted something that I was going to be allowed to underline and scribble in without, I don't know, fear of being struck down by the Bible police or something. I mean, writing in a holy text kind of feels wrong on one hand, but if you're like me, like that's the only way I learn anything. I have to write all over my books, which drives my husband crazy, by the way. Anyway... I found a Bible in a Year reading plan, and I've been going at it for a few months now, and the plan I chose has you skipping around a little bit. Each day usually consists of a chapter or two in the Old Testament, which started from Genesis and is working forward, and then a chapter or two from Psalms or the New Testament. Sometimes they even kind of like coordinate with each other, which is pretty cool. And this plan suited me because, well confession time, because I thought the Old Testament was boring, (laughs) or I, you know, at least used to think it was. Maybe this is just me. I always thought that the juicy stuff, you know, the gospel stories, salvation, the inspirational fire, all the good, encouraging stuff was going to be found from Psalms forward. Whenever I needed inspiration or comfort, I would always open my Bible, but always in the last half. And maybe this is just because I'm from Alabama and surrounded by a bunch of fire and brimstone breathing Southern Baptists who preach the gospel all the time. I don't know. I mean, no offense. Y'all are fun and you have really good green beans. But I've realized that skipping forward to the New Testament is like fast forwarding to the climax action scene of a movie. The explosions and the car chase might be really impressive and exciting, but you're missing the backstory that make the characters interesting, that make the whole story mean more on a deeper level. And I've also learned a lot about Moses reading through the Old Testament. Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. I mean, Moses is like all over this for chapters and chapters and chapters. The recording I'm about to play for you was really kind of me first getting into the whole Moses story. I mean, you think you know it, but then you go back and you read it as an adult and you really take your time with it. And this recording was, first of all, it was made in the Evernote voice memo function on my phone. So that will hopefully explain and excuse the poor audio quality. But I just finished my reading for the day and I had all these thoughts running around in my head about imposter syndrome because Moses had imposter syndrome. And, you know, maybe he legitimately had it because for his younger years, Moses actually was an imposter. He was raised as an Egyptian prince. 
even though he was really just an abandoned Hebrew slave baby that got lucky. He watched in silence for years as his people were broken by their Egyptian masters. And then when he finally decides to do something about it, he commits murder. Not an honorable or thoughtful young man whatsoever. He, (laughs) well, I mean, let's be honest. His yearbook superlative was probably more like most likely to be arrested rather than most likely to be called by God to perform miracles. I mean, he was a fugitive and a murderer when he first encountered the burning bush. But God didn't want to hear all of his reasons for why he wasn't qualified. God had plans and they involved Moses and Moses just had to get over himself. Now, imposter syndrome is something that I, along with a lot of other people, especially women, struggle with. We restrain ourselves from dreams and we deny opportunities because we aren't trained for that or we'll probably just mess it up. Meanwhile, God is facepalming as we pass by the blessings and the chances for leadership that he's laid directly in our path. We're praying to be better people. We're praying for transformational change. We want to be useful to God. And then when he puts this right in front of us, we shy away from it. How does that make any sense? So I think we have some things to learn from Moses. Here's the recording. When we think about Moses, we think about a great man who performed all of these miracles and split the Red Sea so an entire nation of people could escape from slavery. We think of a man who basically brought God down to earth in the form of these great plagues to convince Pharaoh and the Egyptians to free his people, to let his people go. But if you look back to chapter 2 of Exodus, the beginning of Moses' life, you realize who he actually was. He was an abandoned baby. He was an orphaned child. Now, to give credit to his mother, he did. his mother did this so he would live because Pharaoh, in fear of the growing Hebrew population, had given an order to kill every male child born to the Hebrews. And so his mother had put him in the reed basket and essentially calculated for an Egyptian here, Pharaoh's daughter, to find him. And she did. She found him. Um, And so Moses became an adopted son of Pharaoh himself, essentially. And because of this, he was safe. However, that still doesn't get around the fact that he was an orphaned, abandoned child, and he was planted, basically, to save his own life. And he grew up in Pharaoh's household. So you have to imagine that he grew up seeing the Hebrew people, whom he knew were his people, um, being enslaved and beaten. And this did have some effect on him, we can tell, because in chapter 2, Um, Starting around verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. 
So he just murdered somebody. Obviously, it was affecting him that his people were being oppressed and beaten. But instead of going to Pharaoh and pleading their case and having some sort of decorum and responsibility about it, he killed this one man and then hid what he had done. He didn't tell anybody. He thought he got away with it. And you can read on in chapter two. He really thought he got away with it. And then he very quickly realized the next day that he did not. Um, Some Hebrews basically told him, look, we know what happened. Everybody knows what happened. And Pharaoh heard about it. And he sought to kill Moses because he had killed an Egyptian over a slave. So Moses had to flee from Egypt, and he fled into the land of Midian. Um, So that's where he became a fugitive. So we have a murdering fugitive. So let's start with that. We have an abandoned baby, somebody who grew up seeing his people being beaten down, but at least the scriptures don't say anything about him ever trying to convince Pharaoh differently about the matter or make any change from within. Instead, he murdered somebody, tried to hide the fact that he had murdered somebody, and then had to flee from the consequences. So that's who we have. And he's fled to Midian, and he does seem to have somewhat of a little peaceful time in his life then. He was content content to dwell with a man he had met, some shepherds. um, And he even married a woman named Zipporah, and they had a son, Gershom. So he seems to be kind of putting his life back together a little bit, but he's still a fugitive. He's, he's hiding. He's hiding from his consequences. And it's at this time that God has to step in because he realizes that the people of Israel are, well, I mean, he knew it already, but the people of Israel are calling out for him, and he knows that he has to do something. Um, verse 25 in chapter 2 says, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew so he knew that they were suffering. He knew that this was the time set that he had to do something about it. So what's he going to do about it? Well, one certainly doesn't expect that he's going to take a murdering fugitive who's hiding from his consequences, a man you know who was abandoned as a child, and use him to rescue an entire nation. But that is exactly what he does. So... He uses the burning bush to catch Moses' attention and to call him to this great task. Um, And the the bush calls out to him in chapter 3, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. So Moses answered. He heard God's call and here I am. What you got? So he actually listens. So that's probably the first time that Moses in his life has actually done something good in the eyes of the Lord. Um, and God sets him out on this mission. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses pushes back, uh, chapter or chapter 3, verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I to do this? Me? Who the heck are you talking to? And God basically says, look, I'm going to be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. So God's saying, I don't give a crap who you think you are. I know who you are. I'm asking you to do this. I'm going with you to do this. I have chosen you. Shut up and do it. And I think that's the message that I'm getting from this today, that we don't think we're worthy. We don't think we're capable. And God is telling us, shut up 
and just do what I'm telling you to do. God is going to use us no matter how unworthy, no matter how nasty, how terrible we think we are or how terrible we actually are. I mean, Moses was a murderer. He didn't just think he was a bad person. He was a bad person. God doesn't care. He's going to use you if you are willing to answer his call, if you are willing to hear him when he calls you, and if you are willing to say, here I am, what you got? He's going to use you to do things that you are not capable of on your own, that you would not even think about doing until he suggests them to you. So just remember that the next time that you look in the mirror and you think, there's no way that I can do this. Or, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just did that. You know, who am I to expect that God is going to use me? The next time that you think you're not worthy, just tell yourself to shut up because that's what God is telling you to do. Shut up and listen to him. He is telling you what you are capable of doing because he is deciding what you are capable of doing, not you. Thanks for listening to Faith and Fitness. Subscribe to keep the new podcast coming straight to you and leave a review to tell me what you liked and what you'd like to hear next. I love to connect with people, so please make your way over to my website at fitfiercefight.com or find me on pretty much any social media outlet. See you next week.